This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. I'm RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week we're going on flights of fancy while being real cads as we watch spine 121 in the Criterion Collection. John Schlesinger's Billy Liar from 1963. But first, RJ, how was your weekend? It was good. Sweet. That's it. I can't actually, I don't even really remember. I did something this week. You you did something. <laughs> oh, I went to a barbecue one night. That was pretty good. Got into some lively de- debates. And then I went to a baptism the other day. So I was drunk all weekend. Wow. Yep. The baptism was <laughs> nice. We had a little barbecue. Good things. Yeah. And uh, the barbecue the, the day before, also nice. Uh, we got into a lively debate, and I got to ask you this, Jared. Yeah. You eat hot dogs? Have you ever eaten a whole pile of hot dogs? Mm, probably, yeah. Uh, so are you, like, completely devoted to the hot dog bun? Or have you ever slapped a hot dog on a slice of bread, like a single slice of bread, oh. and just squished it and just piled it in your, your yeah. fat face? Yeah, I, I, it's happened. It's, I mean, it's not ideal circumstances but it's it's happened especially like uh growing up a poor kid sometimes you didn't mm-hmm. have the, the luxury of the, the hot dog bun. The bun see this was my same argument where uh i i used it as a i said it was the single dad alternative uh because that's what we ate at my dad's house all the time he would just boil up a big pack of hot dogs and it'd be like Hey, I don't got any buns but here's a wonder bread. Loaf of bread <laughs> just slap that puppy in there catch uh, mustard. And I actually, I think it is really good. I mean, I would rather have a hot dog bun, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it works in a pinch to the point, and I ate them enough to the point where it's like, you know what? I kind of like this. Uh, there was a few older guys at the barbecue, like the dad of the person I was there visiting and his friends. Uh, they agreed with me. They thought a uh, hot dog on a slice of bread was the tits, uh, but there were some youngsters there. Uh, one lady who is not really jiving with what I was saying. She was pretty put off. <laughs> By the hot dog on the slice of bread. Did she like so, kind of like push off from the table and get up? <laughs> uh, she did, um, but not not in a physical way. She mentally left this the conversation at that point, oh. where it was just like you could tell she just drifted away. She said something. She's like, she's like, that's disgusting. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, it's all bread. I was yeah. like, it's not a big deal. Like it's the yeah. same. Same fucking thing. It's just made yeah. different. I mean, I'm not going into the grocery store and being like, I'm getting small dogs. Oh, better get my loaf of bread for them. It's like, no, you go mm-hmm. grab, you grab dogs. But as, as, as what happens is you get a disproportionate number of dogs to the number the of bun. hot dog buns. It's, it's, it's by design, I'm sure, to somehow make mm-hmm. the math go so you get 24 hot dogs to go along with 24 buns, which who could possibly eat that other than for like a large party of people? No, don't gesture at yourself. You're not eating 24 hot dogs in a week. This bad boy puts down so many hot dogs. So many hot dogs. Yeah. If you look at our crate or at our Instagram from a couple weeks ago when I did when Andrea was out of town and I did some serious goddamn eating, I put down a pack of hot dogs in a day. How do I'm you, not how, even kidding. How, how do you feel about like slaw on your dogs? Uh, I do. What do you mean, coleslaw or yeah. sauerkraut? Sauerkraut. Coleslaw. Sauerkraut. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, what are you fucking out slaw. of your mind? Well, it's like Nobody a, puts coleslaw it's Cou- on their. Eh, it's a Quebecois style. Quebecois. Eh? Uh, uh, if I got a good sausage, yeah. like not not a ballpark Shoot. weenie. 
shoe, I believe is what they call it. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's law, but it's shoe. I, I learned that from uh, the Red Dog Diner before it was uh, burnt down by bikers. Uh, allegedly. Oh, I still think yeah. that was a tax uh, insurance type deal. Well, involving bikers and money yeah. owed. Yeah, you give the biker a hundred bucks, say, hey, go start start a fire in my business. Yeah, a couple of those uh, old Hells Angels boys riding down from uh, Quebecois. You should edit out uh, that I said that in case uh, Red Dog comes after us for legal fees. <laughs> or uh, uh, slander, w- I guess. Wherever they are. Just the word on the street, you guys. It's yeah. just the word on the street. Alleged. Nobody knows. Such, such dirt in this mm-hmm. town. Well, anyways, I just wanted to get your gra- uh, your grab. That's not a word. I just want to get your opinion on uh, this hot dog slice of bread thing because I know you're kind of a uh, a food uh, guy. Yeah. You eat it. I, I eat some food sometimes. You consume it. So uh, I wanted to know. I'm a big fan of the hot dog and a slice of bread. Same can- uh, same bottle of mustard. Been in the fridge for like three years. Slap that shit on. Eat yeah, it up. It's mustard. It's fine. There you go. Nice. Did you do anything cool, or you were, you know, you didn't eat any hot dogs this weekend? I didn't eat a single hot dog this weekend. I don't think I've eaten a hot dog this calendar year. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> and uh, Frankly, I've said it a lot, but I've never really meant it before, but you're a bad person. You've said that. You haven't eaten a, a hot dog this year? This year? I don't think I have. Um, the last time I think I would have eaten a hot dog was like one of those... Uh, garbage uh like gourmet street dog at uh state and maine or some shit and it was like 17 dollars for like a fucking mm-hmm. hot dog and it's like yelp i'm an it's idiot bogus. yeah it's probably the closest and that was a while ago and i felt pretty stung by that so it's been a while and i just i don't buy uh i don't buy a lot of like beef really i've uh i used to eat like a my steaks once a week but i'm kind of i'm burnt out on the steaks you know you, you just you can't do anything that supports me or my family, hey? Well, do you You're have like, anything, I'm not going to buy do, the beef. Do, 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 do all, maybe you should get into chicken, those chicken auctions. The chicken auction? Yeah. I ain't a, we ain't about that life, man. Yeah. Chickens don't go to market like, like cows do. Well, there you go. Hey, did you know it was Cow Appreciation Day yesterday? I actually told you that it was Cow Appreciation Day. No, I'm pretty sure I found that out on my own. But, uh, From you me. know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I found that out on my own. No. Well, anyways... So we'll rectify this hot dog situation. What are you doing uh, in two week or in a week from Saturday on the twenty first? Uh, something important, I'm sure. Well, we're having a stag party in town. There's going to be hot dogs. Ugh. So if you want, you can come and eat some hot dogs at a stag party. Bachelor you dogs. See, you can see me in stag form. Oh man, it's not Montana stag form. That's a whole different breed altogether. Mm-hmm. But uh, putting the offer out there. Okay. If anyone, any fans of the show want to come, hit me up. Yep, that's serious, folks. That's a serious offer. You uh, are fans in New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, wherever that one guy's from. <laughs> you email me. You can come to a steak in two weeks. That's right. All right. That reminds me, RJ. What? I do believe we have listener email. Ah, I, well, I, I do think I called out uh, a fan of the show last week. Is it him? <laughs> Uh, yes, but I don't know if he actually responded to the call out. He just wrote in, which is always nice. Oh, nice. Let me just log into the old Criterion Creeps account. I've been the sounds I, of the internet. I, I have been distracted. I, I will yeah. definitely own up to that. 
All I'll say really... is house hunting, garbage. Well, just live in your mom's house like I do. Exactly. That's and you won't have any that, of these and, problems. And that's a shoot. Uh, Oliver Granger, message titled Top Gun. I think I, I think oh, I, wa- I think I watched Top Gun for the first time last year. I heard so much about it, especially in pop culture. So going in, I thought, "Damn, I'm excited to watch this '80s action classic." How did this movie become so become so huge? It's simply not that good. Overly homoerotic and cheesy. At least yeah. other overrated '80s movies are fun. P.S. I am also looking forward to RJ watching John Waters. Although I feel like he will compare it to Salo, which is unfair. Although they straight up kill those chickens and pink flamingos. What? <laughs> P- what they're killing chickens and pink flamingos? Amongst other things. PPS, did you mention the painting of the widow's husband which keeps changing facial expressions in Sullivan's travels? I thought it was so funny. We did. I don't know I if did, because we... I, I mentioned it because I thought it was very funny. Yes. Yes. Painting. Is that it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mentioned that painting. I thought it was really funny. Uh, I don't want to watch John Waters movies and I'll be long dead before you get, I'll be dead and you'll have like some kind of robot as a co-host in 10 years when you get to John Waters movies. So the RJ 3000. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. Um, what else did he say? Yeah. Top Gun's not that good. No, it's not. It's not that good. You guys, you guys, I'm glad you guys. I'm uh, I'm glad he emailed in because uh, he's validating our existence by doing that. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. So we're not just screaming into the abyss. Well, not this week. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, man. D and D's going good. Thanks for asking. Uh, it's been a, it's a hell of hey, a good what, time. What What do you play at D and D? Are you the DM? No, uh, I am a player in a, in another man's. What's uh, your role? World. I am a halfling monk. Are you like a cleric or a halfling monk? I am a, a... a monk, an M O N K, like a kung fu guy. That's what monks oh. are in D and D. So you're like a fighter. Like, what's your like type though? You like a fighter, a shooter, like a, a, I'm a healer, a monk. <laughs> that is, what that is it? Fi- so do you do nothing? I, fi- I fight. I, I'm a fighter. I'm like so you're it's okay. Like, it's like Bruce Lee. Okay, that, that's like okay. it's like a Shaolin master. But I'm a halfling. I'm a hobbit. I am a hobbit that has learned kung fu, essentially. Like Jet Li? Yeah, but a hobbit. He's pretty short, isn't he? Yeah, with big feet and like little sideburns. But I shave my like head. Like Jet Li. Like Jet, Jet Li. Jet Li's got yeah. little sideburns. But, but like a little, like, I don't know, like Frodo. Bowl cut? No, no bowl cut. Shaved head. Oh. It's fun. Oh, so like Tony Jaw? Sure. No one likes Is that. Is that guy. a guy? No one likes him. He was uh, popular for a hot minute. For, in, as Ongbok. Yeah. Uh, when I was in the D&D, I was a cleric, which people think is a lame role, but I thought it was really good because when no one's hurt, you get to go in there and fuck shit up with magic. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, you pray on it. Uh-huh. Divine. It's, not, it's, not ma- it's divine powers that you pray on your uh, magic, if you will. Right. Yeah, it's a warrior, warrior healer. It's a good. It's a good role. Everyone needs one. We got one. He's a half orc. A fork? Uh, yes. Uh, I started a reading half orc. I started reading oh. a book on uh, the history of D anD D. Actually, I got it for like nerd. I got this book for dirt cheap online. It's called, if you want, if you believe it, of Dyson Men. 
Wow. And you paid for this? Yeah, very little. <laughs> I'm having a... I think I'm having an understanding of uh, who you are as a person. No one knows me. I don't like it. Yeah. So that's, been, like that's, it. So that's good. That's been going on strong. I love D&D. Nerd. You know there's people who record podcasts about their fucking D&D campaigns? They like. Yeah. They record their like their get-togethers and people tune in. And it's big. In fact, RJ, the comic book store, we are selling so many D&D books, it's crazy. Like usually we sell like, you know, maybe 10 books every six months. We have sold 10 books in two weeks. When are you going to start playing again? Never. That's too bad. I'm watching movies for the podcast. Yeah, well, I'm doing that too. I'm doing that too. Plus, I have uh, I have other things going on in my life. I'm either deciding to do a big binge on an anime series, which I'll talk about on the show when I get there, oh. or suggested by fan of the show, Ryan Nagel, uh, I've never played the Metal Gear Solid series. Mm-hmm. So he wants he really wants me to pl- I have uh, the collection for PS3 where it's every game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he wants me to hit that up real hard on, and talk about it on the show. And I know there's at least one other listener who would like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know if I should do it. People should email in. What do you want to hear about? Dragon Ball Z or Metal Gear Solid? <laughs> oh, don't watch Dragon Ball Z. Well, I'll get I'll get there. You you'll you'll hear my reasoning. Okay, I'll get there. Um, I would. So do you, do you even have a PS3? I have a PS3 that has zero or no cords or a controller, but those are easy remedies. Why don't you just go remedy that then? Just get them. You don't even have to be able to be uh, ready to play something. I have played the first one, uh, Twin Snakes, on GameCube. It's not because oh, I, okay. I do own that. Yeah, you've you've played Twin Snakes, the remake on the GameCube. Uh, I thought the GameCube was the original. I don't know. It could be. I thought it was just Metal Gear. It's fucking well. What for a Nintendo? Yeah. Well, yeah. There's that. Then there's like the one that was on PS One before Twin Snakes remade it. Uh, I don't know. I thought Twin Snakes no, was the it, first it, no, if you're, in, if you're, like, the Kojima franchise. It is, but it's a re- It's like the up-res version. It's better. It's fine to play that version. It, it looks closer to the second game than... Yeah. I, I don't know, you, man. You cut scenes. I just know that I played Twin Snakes on uh, my Resident Evil 4 yeah. uh, GameCube, and I had a, a lot of fun. Okay? Okay. Okay. So, uh, well, so that's my first option. I could play through the entire Metal Gear Solid, you and can, that'll you take could, away, like, two movies a week. You could me. do what I did and just watch all the edited movies together on YouTube. I, I could do that, but I, I do also enjoy playing video games. Like, bum, you know how bum, you bum, like bum, D&D? Bum, bum. Yeah. I, I, I used to play video games like that. I used to play video games a lot, Jarrett. Hmm. A lot. I just haven't in a really long time. Why? Does Andrea judge you for that? No, you judge me when I don't watch movies. All and my, it just tear, tears all, in my soul. You know, like, two of my closest friends, like, they basically just, that's their other life is video games. I am yeah, the, I know, but I am when the I don't watch movies, and I judge, just, and I judge, and I judge them all. I judge you all, you fucking gamer nerds. You call me a nerd? Yeah, nerd. Because, <laughs> games. No, see, I have... I've I'm hard into too many things and I just do not have time to justify video games in my life. I cut that out of my life a long time ago. See, that's why I can't pick up D and D. I have too many things in my life that I can't pick up D and D again. Where it's like that four hours I could be playing D and D, 
I could just probably play video games. But I currently use those for hours to either read Mm -hmm. or watch a movie. Yeah. I only have four free hours a week. I'm Jared Duncan. I have an ironclad schedule. Yeah, I I do. I would you know like I've been thinking I'm like fuck, I want to like do I want to run a D&D campaign. And but it's like I have Two? absolutely no time. No, I I'm in a game, but I would want to run one. You want to run one. Yeah, but I'm like I have zero time in my schedule the way it exists. Just, just play those normal normal board games like you were planning to. That's that that D&D night took over that night. Jesus. Whoa. When do you go to taco time now? When you're playing all I, this stuff I, all the time. I, I, I get I have to cut out a whole taco time meal now. You pick it up on your way or No, I can't even I can't even eat it like on Mondays. Um, during the summer. It's look, very sad. Look at what happened to you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm really I'm stressing out about it. Hey RJ. Hey, remember when we thought this was gonna be a short episode? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, this is all fun and games here, so uh huh. <laughs> hey RJ, what what you been creeping on this week? A few things, more than I had actually planned to. But uh, I'm going to blow through these fuckers because a couple of them are new movies we don't need to talk about. And uh, uh, one's a movie you already talked about on this podcast, so it don't matter. Fine. Yeah, early on too. Mm-hmm. Third episode. Uh, really? Yes. Shit. Lady well, I'll talk about that now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I watched Hard Times. Hard Times. By Walter Hill, the man who brought you The Warriors. 48 hours Brewster's millions fucking good movies my man good movies so you talked about hard times uh I guess a hundred and some episodes ago yes uh this I I was I was looking for a movie to watch last night and I was like you know what we haven't talked about Charles Bronson in a really fucking long time and I feel like that's a bad thing because that's what made us who we are is this man of a man? He's Charles a found. Bronson. He's a foundation to this podcast. That a fa- founding father. So you talked about it, but it's 1930s New Orleans. Charles Bronson is a fighter. Uh, greasy James Coburn comes in to be his like handler, and they arrange street fights for money. And he just goes around New Orleans fighting guys. Bare for knuckle money. brawls. Bare knuckle brawling. Uh, this is almost a perfect movie uh, because it is <laughs> Charles Bronson. As uh, I saw your review yeah. putting it, shirtlessly beating the shit out of people for like an hour and a half, which it is, and that's fucking amazing. Because I don't know why you would want to watch anything else. Well, yeah, I believe that's uh, something about like, does this excite you? Because it should. It should, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, which I think I should watch some more Charles Bronson movies. I'm I'm feeling it now. So. I I own basically everything. So oh, hit uh, me up, man. Hit me up with Jubal. Do you have Jubal? I do. Okay, him. I don't know why, but for some reason, that's on my watch list. That's also a Criterion. Oh, is it? Nah, never mind. I don't want to watch. I don't watch Criterion movies off the pod anymore. So that's like okay. That's something that I've been like really frustrated with with this podcast is now <laughs> that like we are going to cover every Criterion. Now there's like movies that are Criterions. And I'm like, I just kind of want to watch this movie, but it feels like a waste of my time. But it's like, but if it's a good movie, it's not a waste of time at all. And then I can be like, this movie's mm-hmm. really good. But am I just gonna wait? Wait like years to watch a good movie? It's so stupid. So, this happened to me last week. I was gonna watch this Japanese movie. It was either a what was it? It was either like Still Walking or like Father Like Son. Yeah. From the same director guy. It's like Father Son movies, this guy. And I started it and I'm not even kidding you. I pressed play and the criterion logo came up and I just hit stop. 
And I was like, I don't know when this is in the Criterion Collection, but I'm not going to watch it anymore. <laughs> and I looked it up. It's like 430 or something was like it, that. Was so, this the Ozu movie? No, it's not Ozu. Let me let me look it up. Let me look it up here. But man, hard times. Okay, yeah. So hard times. Uh, he gets paid to do bare knuckle brawling, and it's super wicked. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is it? Um, James Coburn is a degenerate gambler. Yeah, he's like a greaseball. Uh, I I didn't like. He's good in this role, but I like bad James Coburn more when he's in like say the Maverick. Role payback. Yeah, yeah, like Maverick or Payback. Like I like that kind of bad James Coburn way more. Um, you mean you like to say that you like him better with Mel Gibson than Charles Bronson? I, I you might be on to something, or, or even he is good uh, with or, Charles uh, or Affliction. Oh, oh yeah, he is good in that too. Anyways, he's fine in this, but yeah, they go around and they beat the shit out of people and they make some money. They get in bad with or. The handler, James Coburn, uh, gambles a lot, and he gets in a bad spot. And Charles Bronson's always just kind of there, doing his thing, being a man. Yeah, silently observing things, kind of Mm -hmm. moaning out his lines. So I won't say anything more. I do think this is a perfect man movie, not just because he's beating the shit out of people for like two hours, and not just because there's people with names like Mr. French and Street and Speed and Kochi and like things like that, real man names. Uh, but because this is a man movie, because Charles Chuck Bronson's going out there, he's fighting, making money. And you know what the first thing he does once he makes money is, Jared? Hmm. He buys a cat. He brings a cat home. And he, he, he gets some milk and some cat food. And it's his loyal companion. And he loves that cat, man. And then near the end, there's this touching moment where it's like, is he going to leave? Is he not? And the cat's meowing at him, and it breaks your fucking heart. And this movie is a man's movie because it shows you that real men can cry when they have when they get put in a difficult situation between doing the thing that you shouldn't do, sticking with your cat, man. Mm-hmm. Real Cats. man movie. And I got to say, this uh, this is RJ approved. Nothing bad happens to that cat. And uh, he's even a main player at the end, so it's pretty good. But yeah, hard times—that's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I, like I, I like that movie too. So I believe uh, the movie that I was trying to talk to you about is called "Still Walking" from Hiro Kazu Karita. Yeah, and this guy has all sorts of father-son Japanese movies, like "Like Father, Like Son," "After the Storm." Still Walking, and Still Walking is in the Criterion, hmm. and it is spine number I, 550. I am completely unfamiliar with this movie. I, uh, like, okay. I don't, like, I, I didn't even know this movie existed till now. <laughs> um, apparently, people describe this as a, really like a Miyazaki movie and an ozu movie kind of but yeah that seems racist to me well i i I never said it i know i haven't seen this i'm just (laughs) cruising the letterbox page and i see not in not in one but in two different reviews they say ozu and miyazaki (laughs) the plot reads like ozu's tokyo story and then also this person this is a live action hayo miyazaki movie so there you go. 
Hmm. Bunny. Buster Brown. Spine 554. I might still be alive, but I will surely be in uh, some kind of dilapidated state by then. So Maybe uh, some sort of space cocoon? Yes. Yes. But, uh, yeah, anyways, my point was I was going to watch that fucking movie, and I didn't because I saw it was a criterion, so I just stopped it. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to watch this. <sighs> so you want to hear about the other movies I watched this week? A- absolutely. I watched a movie called Blockers, and on the poster, there's a rooster over the word blockers. Do you know what that means, Jarrett? Cock. Yeah, cock. Cock blockers from this year from a lady named Kay Canyon who hasn't directed anything else, but she was a writer on 30 Rock. Pretty neat. So, this movie was an Andy pick. I knew it would be, so that's why I threw this bad boy on. It's got Leslie Mann, Ike Barinholtz, and your boy, Mr. John Cena. John Cena? Cena. That's the one. So, they are parents. They all have three girls that were the same age. They met, they became friends because their kids were friends. And it is the day of those three girls' graduation. Mm. And the parents find out that these girls have a virginity pact to lose it at prom. So they go on a mission to stop it. Hmm. Uh, this is a pretty, pretty straightforward um, comedy. Yeah. Like not, I wouldn't say rom-com, but like a drama comedy kind of. Not drama. It's just a comedy. It's your, it's your straightforward teen comedy. Uh, I actually thought it was pretty funny. I don't know. I don't know why. I, I kind of related to it. There's some good stuff in there. Uh, John Cena does a butt chug with a beer, mm-hmm. which uh, I, in high school, we got in many debates about how you would do a butt chug. And uh, I'm not saying we invented it, but... I mean, I don't. I didn't hear anyone in 2008 talking about did, butt chugs. Did, did John Cena perfect it? Uh, he did pretty good. He did pretty good. Um, oh, full disclosure, I haven't done that myself. I've just talked about it at length. So uh, anyway, uh, it's pretty good jokes, and it's pretty like uh, I wouldn't say like lighthearted, but it's fun. I know you love that word. Mm-hmm. It's easy watching. And uh, it's got a it's got a good positive message about female sexuality, and I think uh, what is it like? I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of like weird because they're teenagers, but it's this. I think it fits with current culture about how you know fluid sexuality and all that stuff. So it's trying to send a positive message that it's like, yeah, it's okay. Get out there, do your thing, man. Whatever you want to do. One of the characters reminded me of you. Uh, there is a lady, or one of the daughters, she is a lesbian, but she doesn't want anyone to know, so she dates a beard. And uh, this mm. kid wears like a fedora, and he's like a drama kid, and he's like, oh! Um, and he's really funny. Uh, and I thought that kid was awesome, and he really reminded me of you, Jared. Wow. Uh, I think you, if you watched it with Chanel, you might enjoy uh, parts of this movie. I don't think you would dislike it. Okay my main takeaway blockers was pretty good i liked it that's all i'm gonna say okay so after that jared i watched a series of anime movies and by series i mean two mm-hmm. and by two i mean one actual anime movie and one half hour thing 
So I watched Red Line by Takeshi mm, Koke. Yes. Uh, this popped up on that top anime mm-hmm. list, uh, top 20 or something like that. It's got a cool poster. Uh, so I watched this Red Line movie, Jarrett. Yeah. And I would describe this movie uh, more than anything else as mildly annoying slash frustrating uh, because I think it has pretty cool parts. Like I enjoyed most of it. I think as the car... Okay. Red Line is about people in the future who race cars on tires. And even though that's crazy because there's hover cars, but then also their cars are like hover cars when they need to be. So even within the movie, it's like details are a little fuzzy on what they're really doing. But it's like death race. Yeah. It's how I would describe it. It's like a death race thing. And the it's like eight people racing and they have bombs and stuff like that. And you got all sorts of characters. So I think this movie is frustrating because there's really cool parts like the racing I thought was nice. And there are certain some of the characters I think are really cool. Like they have really goofy characters like one guy's name's like Metalhead and he's part of his vehicle and he's just on the hood riding. And there's a like psycho man and he drives like the psycho mobile. And I thought that was I like stuff like that. I think it's funny. Uh, But this movie is also like kind of super annoying because the characters are really annoying. Uh, I watched this with the dubs, mm. which I don't know if there was a sub, but I just put it on and the dubs played, so I just left it. Right. Uh, and the characters are really annoying, and the stuff they talk about is really... It's really like... Uh, this plays like a little kid's movie, the way the characters talk to each other. It's like, you can't do that. No one's ever done that. And it's like, watch me, buddy. And like things like that, it's like I'm gonna do it, and but then he'll slip on a banana, and I'll be like, wow, wow. So there's like stuff like that that's really goofy. So I didn't really like that. And then uh, I don't know. This movie is like almost two hours, and half an hour of that <laughs> is this like romance story that's really like shoehorned into this thing, and you're just like, why is this in here? Who fucking cares? So I don't know. Red Line is I would say mostly annoying, frustrating. Because I think the racing stuff is cool because it's kind of like Fast and the Furious and uh, pod racing from episode one. That's how I end death race. Mm -hmm. So that stuff is really cool. But I wish that was the whole movie. Uh, But that's only like maybe 20 minutes of the movie. And the rest of the movie is just eh. So I don't know what you think about Redline. Um, Yeah. So you borrowed my Blu-ray of this. Uh Um, As you said, it was on that. Paste magazine's top 100 anime list, and it's in that top mm. 20. And uh, I was, you were, you said, give me the top 20s you got. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have this. It's sitting in a bin in the front of my house that's kind of on the two hawk pile to get out of my house because I'm not a fan of this. Uh, I bought this like yeah. the week it came out on Blu-ray, bought it blind, had seen the hype around it, seen the trailer, said this looks awesome. On paper, this sounds really cool. And then I watched it, and I was just like, ugh. This is like everything I dislike about anime. Um, and I really haven't given it much thought since then. I know uh, my friends Corey and Lawrence watched it sometime after I did, and they both seemed to enjoy it uh, quite a bit more than I did. But I just like, I thought it was just like, I don't know. If you're going to make a movie about cars and car crashes, I want to watch a real movie because it will have the real presence of that when you're drawing it. It doesn't have that, and so much of it is just like... And this is like... It's been a while since I watched this, so maybe uh, at the time I wasn't in the mood for this sort of like dumb kind of action manga Mm -hmm. or anime. Uh, And I just remember like 
just like the screaming faces and just cars racing, racing, racing. It's just super repetitive and isn't as interesting as it should be. But mm-hmm. in, in that two hours long, which I don't remember being like that, but Jesus Christ. It's like um, an hour 45, I think. Um, that's that's quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I don't really have any fond memories of this. Uh, I, I, I like the poster, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't care about this movie. Cool parts. Cool parts. Nice. So the last thing I'll tell you real quick, Jared, I watched a, so the reason I did this whole anime baby kick was because I was like, man, I kind of want to watch Dragon Ball Z again. And I don't really know why, but I just felt like that. Cause that show aired when I was like nine years old and I was so pumped every night when I watched it, I would like do karate and shit in my house. Cause I was so jacked up. And I was like, man, I kind of want to watch that Dragon Ball Z. And then I realized there's like almost 30-some movies from Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. I was like, I think I've seen a handful of them, maybe five or six. Mm -hmm. But I've never actually watched them. And from what I gather, uh, like the first 25 or almost 30 of those movies are standalone things that kind of branch off from the canon story. Yeah. This is nerdy, but so it's it's like a lot of them are retellings of like events, but then they also lead to something different. So it's like when this right before in between, like, say, Frieza saga and Cell saga, there's a different villain that pops up and they'll like fight him. And that's where these movies like exist is in that realm in between stuff. Yeah. So, So I was like, maybe I'll watch some of those and then maybe I'll get back to that anime one day. And uh, I watched Dragon Ball uh, Curse of the Blood Rubies from 1986. It was the first one. Um, It was okay. It was fine. Uh, It was only 50 minutes long. And when they, like, I saw that these were, like, some of them said they were retellings of things. And I was like, all right, I'll see what it it is. But it is literally just retelling of, like, how the characters meet. Where some of it, I think, is frame for frame what it was in the anime. Right. So... And then it just kind of leads to something else. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know. Maybe I'll just watch these anyways. I'll see. So it was fine. But my point, which I brought up earlier, is I could do two things. I could play through that Metal Gear Solid or I could uh, go deep down this Dragon Ball hole and uh, see what's up. Mm. I'm not sure. Maybe people can email in and let me know. My vote would be play Metal Gear because you just read the Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z manga, right? And uh, like a year or two ago. Yeah, that's all you need because there's like hundreds of episodes. Um, yeah, I think there's like two hundred. If you yeah. count Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball yeah. Z, I think there's like three hundred. Yeah, that's a lot of episodes, dude. You're never gonna do it. Metal Gear, you can please play one game and then call it quits. Mm-hmm. You're never gonna finish those Dragon Balls. You're, you're well, you're, maybe maybe you're, I'll just watch gr- these like fifty minute movies, because <sighs> that's like. like like one a week it's like 40 some of these are only 40 minutes long i'm looking at them one of these is 11 minutes long uh run a poll run a poll on uh on the facebook, facebook? or twitter well, no, i put no, a poll on before and no one really responded to it so yeah well try again try 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 again we'll try but anyways that's all i gotta talk about awesome what do you got i watched uh adult movies and documentaries about the adult industry of film because I'm a degenerate RJ. Um, first up lots of vinegar syndrome viewing here. Uh, I watched uh, a documentary from the seventies called a labor of love. 
And so what this little number is, uh, it's definitely, I think, the highlight of all the stuff I watched this uh, past week. It's a documentary about this like small little independent Chicago film production that is trying to make this like art movie. And the problem is, is that the producers want a pornography, a hardcore pornography. Ooh, cool. So this like director with horrible hair, he is attempting to like get the actors that he cast for his legitimate movie, who are like all no name actors mm-hmm. just living in Chicago, to become hardcore actors and this guy's never shot a sex scene in his life and he's kind of learning as he goes so this film that he was working on never actually happens but this documentary exists of like the awkwardness and weirdness of trying to do this and i loved it this is a great documentary um was it sleazy oh yeah it's real greasy and very real and very 70s lots of uh hair everywhere the, mm. the the set dressings the just I don't know <laughs> it had the right vibes tell kind me of, more about the sex appeal the 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 sex appeal I don't know about that I don't know if I didn't say oh. that did I well I just I when I said greasy or something I assumed that's what you think is mm, sexy so. no no I I just uh this was very enjoyable uh, of like of the uh porn related documentaries I watched this one I thought mm. like felt very genuine and kind of like unique. Um, I think it will actually tie in well, this sort of like cinema verte style with the documentaries that we're watching next week for the show. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, this was like totally what I was kind of looking for. Unlike a couple of these other ones I watched, which were on Netflix. uh, Mm -hmm. One of which was hot girls wanted. Uh, This is just on Netflix. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it in your adventures on Netflix, scrolling around, seeing what things are what. And then you go, ooh, hot girls wanted. And then you go, oh, this isn't what I want. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, this is is just like a story that covers, uh, it's it's like produced by Rashida Jones. I guess she's somebody. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you Uh, mean she's someone? You don't know Rashida Jones? Not I I know Chanel's like it's Rashida Jones. I went, Yeah, okay. I I guess so. I find that weird just weird more than anything. It's like what does she have to do with this? She produced Quincy Jones's daughter, man. She she produced this thing. So why? Uh well that's the thing that we're gonna talk about. Okay. So Hawk Girls Wanted is just a documentary about uh, how, so I'm not sure, you probably don't follow this because you're a kind of an uptight square, but uh-huh. uh, like uh-huh. eight years ago, uh, not even, maybe six years ago, California, uh, kind of like p- Porno Valley, uh, they mm-hmm. the state changed their laws about uh, the use of condoms. They, they've been trying to regulate the like the sex industry in California mm-hmm. for a long time, and each every few years they get things through. And one of the things that they really changed was the use of condoms and how they have to keep track of this stuff. And mm-hmm. is it basically chased off a lot of business out of California because so people just got picked up and left and they moved their business to Florida. So this is set uh, primor- primarily, I guess, in Miami. And it kind of lies out the whole process of amateur porn and how that works. And it lays out the trajectory of essentially mm-hmm. girls turn 18. They live in the Midwest, in like Texas, and like these small towns. And their entire life, they've just known their parents and their parents like very like middle, like working class suburban lives. And they think this is all there is to life because all they've done is school. And they're generally not super 
bright probably because they go, man, this seems like a really great opportunity. This guy on Craigslist is has this post about looking for attractive girls and he'll fly me out to Miami for free. That sounds amazing. And I can make like a, like $3,000 a week. And you're like, was it amazing? It never is because as we mm-hmm. learn in the documentary from uh, a couple of the, the guys that stick around, because the men always, men always have an unfair advantage in the porn world. The ones that stick mm-hmm. it out, they can last quite a long time. The women though, the turnover is qu- quite a bit higher. Um, you're told here that the longest that any woman generally lasts in the industry outside of like exceptional circumstances, it's like, uh, what, six months is like a pretty good run. After a year, you're a real veteran, but very few make it that long. Most of the time, six it's... Six months? Six months is, like, a long time. Damn. Like, three months is, like, about as long as anyone lasts because they get there, and it's all fun. But the the thing is, though, when I was watching this thing, it's like, oh, you're getting to hang out with this guy in his track pants, and he's got a couple cute dogs, and he's got a mm. washer and dryer in, like, the most generic-looking Floridian house there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, like, getting to hang out with other girls their age and, like, have fun and be treated like adults and, like, go out and have fun. But it's like, yeah, this is what you could – you're 18 years old. This is, These are things you want to do. But it doesn't really mean necessarily that you have to, like, you know, go fuck for money. And uh, these girls soon find Mm -hmm. out that like all that like interest that they have in you when you're truly an amateur doing this for the first time, it wears off after like a month or so. And then people go, yeah, we're not interested in you anymore. So the job offers start dropping. Mm -hmm. And then you have to start taking other job, like other job opportunities, like showing up to a guy's house who's got a camcorder on his stick. And he goes, yeah, I'll pay you $300 to suck me off. And I film it. I'm a pornographer Mm. and it's like indeed so that's grim shit Mm. um it sounds a lot like the uh it parallels the progression of this podcast a lot yeah how like we started off as this like fun indie thing amateur and then and then the the lengths we have to go to now to continue our trade you know like we got that patreon we got uh all sorts of bad stuff. All things you you can't talk about contractually. Yep. Until I'm dead, then then it'll all come out. And then it'll come a hundred years after you're dead, and it gets released into the public. Yeah. So it's uh, I don't know. The trajectory is pretty predictable. You see where like all these like it just you're basically following these girls along this like particular mm-hmm. wave, and it's like your flat out told it's like yeah they come and go by the guy he's like doesn't get too hung up about it he doesn't care he's a pimp he like he makes 10 percent on whatever they make he's not making them go do anything but he's giving them the opportunity to do it and the house to do it in and it's like he looks like i don't know he's 40 years old at 23 um but there's the other bad? i don't know rj i don't think it's i don't it doesn't sound good to me um okay. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, like, elements of these sort of documentaries that are, like, I don't know. There's, like, these websites get more hits than Disney.com, NFL.com, MLB.com, all these webs- all these big things mm. you've heard of, but pornography is unregulated and unchecked. But it's, like, well, what do you need to go to NFL.com for? Like mm-hmm. there's you there's why would you go the, to that website in massive droves? You're not. I'm gonna go watch. Yeah. I'm gonna watch football clips. It's like no, you people watch football on TV. People go watch mm-hmm. Disney on TV. You don't need to go to the internet to do that. Pornography 
is free on the internet. Ergo, people go online to watch pornography. That like mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense to me, like why that would be more successful. But it's not like it's bigger and scarier because it's just, it's I don't know. They they get more hits than Amazon.com. And it's like, well, I'm I'm sure that's probably changed in the last five years too, but I don't know. It's it's kind of weird scare tactic -y. Like what is the end game here? What what do they mm -hmm. want to accomplish with this documentary? It's kind of nebulous and I don't know what it's going for. So I feel uncomfortable in that regard. But at the same time, it's like it's greasy. <laughs> this this stuff is mm -hmm. like real, like no uh, people shouldn't be doing this. People shouldn't feel like they should ever have to do this. Have just sex like, just like this podcast. To have sex for money, to to talk about criterions on podcasts for no money um hey we got we have to afford those physical criterion somehow i haven't bought a they still they don't give us any any uh don't incriminate yourself they don't <laughs> they don't give us those free copies for nothing <laughs> that's right all those free all those movies that we're buying to do these weekly shows we're not endorsed yet so that's right come on the big c come along give us the give us send, send us those comps well all, all them all our fans globally just start harassing Criterion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start just uh, adding them, mm -hmm. bro. Adam. Uh, so yeah, I watched this. That was like okay. It was interesting. Held my attention. Uh, I followed that up with another uh, porn documentary. After Jesus. porn ends. Isn't that what you just talked about? Uh, no. So this this one's about what happens to porn stars after the sex dies. Oh, <laughs> uh, so okay. it's like it's what happens when they retire. And there's like okay. there's there's the men who are all old and weird, and they didn't have the same struggles as the women. Um, and then there's the women side, and like everyone's story is a little bit different. A lot of them find Jesus and totally mm. like turn on the industry and uh, just talk about the evils of it. Uh, mm -hmm. other people are like, they got older, so they became less in demand and they kind of like went on to like, to become grad students, uh, at Duke or something like that and Ugh. become, become like, well, like Asia Carrera, she's done fairly well for herself. Who's um, Asia Carrera? A Asia Carrera. She was like the first, I guess, like super successful half Asian porn star from like the early 90s. I know Tia Carrera from Wayne's World. Uh, no, this, this would be Asia. She's she does a uh, I think a podcast with uh, David Cho, that guy. Who's David Cho? Oh man, you you you'd like that David Cho. Uh, he did a, a show about hitchhiking uh, several years ago with his nephew. He's this uh, Korean American guy. It's good time. Is it good. Ah, uh, yeah, I I think you would enjoy it a lot. It's like if you like fishing with John. You'd like David Cho style of uh, humor. He was like, oh, okay. so he's this like, if you don't, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, so David Cho is like this graffiti artist who he got rich, like super rich, because he did the uh, the, the the Facebook offices. Uh, I know David murals. Cho. He was on uh, an episode of Anthony Bourdain's show. There, of course, he was because that's yeah. all, they're, they're, they're very similar. Types. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, David yeah, Cho's a cool. I know dude. that dude. He's yeah. Cool. Asia Carrera yeah. and uh, David Cho did a podcast. I think they still do it called cool. DVDSA or something like that. Anywho, that was a mm -hmm. thing. Uh, so yeah, after porn ends, it just documents like people's various states of leaving the industry. It's kind of like mm -hmm. a weird, like half warning, half like, oh, this is just what it is. Um, it like I was, it was fine to watch while watching it, but 
by the end, I was kind of like, after like, a, you know, six hours after watching it, I thought back to it and I was like, that wasn't very good. <laughs> um, it was mm-hmm. like, it was just like watching a TV show called like After Porn Ends. And it's just like a bunch of like segments on people. And it's just like, it exists. I think there's a sequel mm-hmm. that came out like a year ago. And I'm like, eh, I'm not that super jazzed about it. Uh, I did find out though that uh, there's this one. Uh, TV series I watched from like back in the 2000s called Disinformation and uh, they did a whole episode on pornography and one of the guys mm-hmm. who came out like as a very like strong critic of it this guy named Luke Ford he wrote a book on the history of pornography mm-hmm. uh, he is still around he looks like he's kind of lost his mind he's kind of this got this Hasidic Jew but like radical <gasps> Judaism look going on and mm-hmm. he has a Twitter where he talks a lot about strong politics <laughs> And, uh, mm. all that sort of thing. I went, oh, that's what happens. I guess sometimes you just go on YouTube and you have streams and then your stream gets taken down and then people rally around you. And then you just start up another stream to complain about how your stream got taken down. That's, how come that's never happened to us. Uh, cause we're not controversial enough, I guess. Uh, no one, you say that again after you listen to that, my man Godfrey episode Yeah. or that 400 blows episode. Who girl. Mm hmm. Interesting. Yeah. When's your uh when are you gonna stop watching porn? Uh when I when I find something else interesting to get into. It's mm. holding my interest so far. Uh I, I watched uh another Vinegar Cinder movie. This is not porn. This is a, a very strange film called Runaway Nightmare. Mm. I had seen some people talking very highly of this in terms of like uh, what the fuck cinema? Like, how did this movie get made type of movie making? And wow. so I kind of picked up this and was watching it. And this movie just is unbelievably badly made. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a vanity movie written, mm-hmm. starring, directed by our, the lead man, Michael Chilton or something like that, who mm-hmm. his acting chops come down to him just doing Jimmy Stewart impersonations like all the time. Aww. That's all he's capable of. And that is pretty well the worst impersonation a man can do. It's just yeah. the shits. It's like, you suck. Stop doing that. And he does it all movie long. And it's like him, like, it's, this is supposed to be a vanity project, which is usually like, you get to like make out with hot chicks and look like a big stud, even when you're a big fucking loser. This guy is like, oh, uh, I'm going to be hanging out with all these hot women, but I'm just a fucking loser. So he gets the entire concept of making a movie about yourself all wrong. Um, and he just like, I don't know. He gets like shot. He like allows himself to get shot in the chest with a shotgun while wearing a bulletproof vest, which is insane. He puts himself through a plate mm. glass window just cause. And it's like, I don't think he did that very well. Uh, the movie itself is about him and this guy he's friends with. They have a insect farm where they raise worms in death Valley. And then I got worms. He's got worms. And, uh, nice. some, mafia guys dump a a body with a beautiful woman in it in a coffin Mm. they bury it in the hole they un they unbury it they save this woman's life because she was just unconscious Mm. i guess but then they get kidnapped by some radical feminists who have stolen platinum from the mafia and they now live in this sort of like manson-esque uh like death shack in the middle of the desert and antics ensue just endless scenes of antics and the the uh the film craft rj is like an all-time low in this p- picture it is 
like so incredibly badly made. And I think that's what some people really are responding to. I mm-hmm. just like, I don't know. There was nothing about this movie that entertained me at all. Like, I was just like, this sucks. Like, what is this? And like, some people love that type of thing, I guess. But this was on the wrong side of bad cinema for me. Mm-hmm. So that was a bummer. Um, I well, was, that's what you get for watching bad movies. I, it is. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you get runaway nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, other thing I'll talk about. Mm, I'll talk about the Sarnos. Another documentary. So the the Sarnos, A Life in Dirty Movies. So this is a documentary that came out five years ago. Uh, It it talks about uh, this director named Joe Sarno, uh, and he made sexploitation movies back in the 60s. And he Mm -hmm. made movies from that point on. Uh, He's kind of like been described as like sexploitation's Igmar Bergman. And it's just because like he shoots a lot of movies that are black and white, and Mm -hmm. they're just like, Essentially, they, they're dramas. They're like inter, like they're just like low key family dramas with like lots of women, blonde women and whatnot. And they're just talking a lot. And then they also have sex, but like not in a hardcore sex way, just like lots of boobs and writhing around and unsimulated orgasms and stuff like that. Uh, so the real stuff. It's, yeah, a little bit there, depending on the era. Like he gets mm-hmm. more and more risque as time goes on, but he never made that leap into the hardcore world. Um, so this guy's more like kind of a Jess Franco type of uh, filmmaker where okay. he like straddles that line. He tried doing the hardcore thing, but it just didn't work at all. He had no interest in that whatsoever. But this documentary really is about this man who's like kind of found some fame later in his life. Like the mm-hmm. guy's like, you know, in his like 80s in his twilight with his wife, uh, Peggy Sarno. And like the the real like amazingly surprising sweetness of this movie is like the relationship these two have had because they got mm-hmm. married like I don't know when in his youth this guy was like a pretty like good looking strapping guy um, and she was this like young Jewish woman in New York whose like mother mm-hmm. like could not did not want him want her to marry this like pornographer in her mind like she was like an old school New York like lady and she's like I don't want my daughter getting into this but she did. And like she was kind of like an actor, like working off Broadway and stuff like that. Like it's very, very New York type of story. And like Joe Sarno, he's a total uh, like just Brooklyn guy. Like he's got the like, like a mook, like a mook, yeah. But hey, yeah, so oh. this so this documentary is just like yeah, you get to see these moments of like they're like this like kind of success they get like you know the BFI Film Institute like the British Film Institute they're running like a thing on sex exploitation and flying them in and doing a big presentation on like essentially what's like been considered trash film forever and now it's like mm-hmm. oh here's a here's a analysis of this and like a big talk about it there's these movies now are getting like special edition Blu-ray releases and like like scholarly papers being written about it and his use of light and space. And it's like, Oh, that's really neat that this guy's like kind of having this like kind of resurgence, even though it's like, he's not making movies anymore. The guy's so old and uh, he's like still writing on this like ancient, like kind of like electric typewriter and uh, laying out his scenes and stuff like that. And his wife's kind of just like making things work and stuff like that. And they have this like really great relationship. So that was like really sweet and stuff like that. And of course, like uh, I knew that like when they were filming this, Joe Sarno was still alive, but he dies while they're making the film. So there's that element to it. And Mm. then it took two years for the, it's a haunted movie. Yeah. It's got a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. A literal ghost. Yeah. Um, So yeah, the reason I wanted to check this out was because vinegar syndromes put out a few of these uh, Joe Sarno movies. I've only ever seen one called young, young playthings. Yeah. Uh, and it's like it's 
got clowns, like sexy clowns in it. It's suit. Mm-hmm. It is art house with a capital A. Um, and that's the only one I've ever seen. But uh, after like going through their like filmography, stuff like that, I was like, oh, there's a couple of these that might be kind of interesting. Like one called All the Sins of Sodom. <laughs> stop it. Class E. You stop it. Yeah. You. Movie making, baby. You man. Plumb in the depths. I won't even talk about the hardcore porn I watched called Winter Heat. You save that for next uh, next yeah, episode. That's fine. I can do that for you. Yeah. Nice. For me. Uh, hey, RJ, you got any news what? for us? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is going to be the Joker. Oh. In that uh, Scorsese produced. Didn't we know that? Todd Frazier. Well, it was rumored, but it's official now. Oh, and no. uh, my response to that is, who cares? Actually, <laughs> I like Joaquin Phoenix, but uh, Neil, your buddy Neil Blomkamp is going to remake a RoboCop movie. Neil Breen? Neil Blomkamp. Oh. You know, you know the guy who made all those shorts that I watched that really sucked? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess they're giving him RoboCop. Wow. That's my news for you, I mean, pal. At least RoboCop is linked into like what we're doing on this show. That's that's a change uh, of pace. Well, I did watch all of them. We did watch all of them for the RoboCop movie. We did. The RoboCop movie, the episode, one of the best episodes ever. Go listen to it right now. Yeah, it's always amazing. Even if you already have. Yep. Every episode's amazing. What are you talking about? There's no everyone. There's no bad episodes. Yeah, go listen to uh, Henry V. Yeah. Or. You know, Savo. <laughs> I got, well, I got, anyways. I've got no news. No, who cares? Good. Let's let's roll on this. All son right. Of a bitch. All right. Uh, after the break, um, flights of fancy and lots of lying in black and uh, white. You didn't watch this with, movie with, with big ears. Did you? Your lying blue eyes used to charm me and hypnotize me through and through. Like a fool, oh, I've been dreaming. Your lying blue eyes and just told on you. All those stories I've been hearing I wouldn't believe that they were true But just this morning Over coffee This is the story of one William Fisher, better known as Billy Liar. It was a big day for us. We had won the war in Ambrosia. Democracy was back once more in our beloved country. It's nearly half past nine. 
Why don't you see he gets washed and dressed before he comes down in the morning? Hey, what's he telling that woman down at the fish shop about me having my leg off? <laughs> you won't look as if I've had my leg off. We'll have to stop all this making things up, Billy. There's no sense in it at your age. We never know where we are with you. Billy Fisher, the man himself. Yes, well, now, as I was saying, Fisher, there are discrepancies in the postage book. I've been trying to get some sense out of your figures here. For God's sake, Billy, why don't you tell the boring little man where to stick his job? We may have to take some legal action. I don't know. I'll talk to you about it on Monday. Every time Billy's in a spot, he shoots his big gun off. Billy Liar, the boy whose imagination is so vivid, whose lies are so varied, he can't even face himself. I'm going to London. But I'd have been at the station already, well, if it hadn't been for Grandma. If you're in any more trouble, Billy, it's not something you can leave behind you, you know. You, you put it in your suitcase and you take it with you. Well, where's that ring? Either you get me that rotten Stash. ring back for this afternoon, or I'm coming round to see your rotten mother. We're supposed to be engaged if you did but know it! Billy Liar, the story of a boy whose imagination is larger than his life. Billy, are you feeling all right? Of course, darling, why? Well, look where your hand is. Oh. Billy Liar, based on the bestseller novel and screenplay by Keith Waterhouse and Willis Hall. Produced and directed by the team who gave you A Kind of Loving. Now they emerge with a brand new kind of escapist entertainment. Always, please. Will you marry me? Yes, Billy. Billy wasn't engaged to just one girl. Or two girls. Yes, you rotten, lying, cross-eyed git, you're nothing else. Hello, Lisa. He had three girls. Barbara, this is Rita. Rita, this is Barbara. You don't get out of it like that. I want that ring. I I've got to know, Billy. Have you been having... Are you going to give me that ring? Or aren't you? Don't you threaten me. I won't threaten you. I'll flatten you. Now, take off that ring. No, it's Come fine. on, give it to me. No. And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. And tonight we're talking about Billy Liar from 1963, directed by John Schlesinger. The White. Schlesinger. There you go. Uh, the tagline of the film. One guy, three girls, one ring. In uh, the synopsis of this film. A young Englishman dreams of escaping from his working class family and dead-end job as an undertaker's assistant. A number of indiscretions cause him to lie in order to avoid the penalties. His life turns into a mess, and he has an opportunity to run away and leave it all behind. 
Sure does. Absolutely. So uh, this is a movie I had never seen, but it has been on my radar to watch for a very long time. As uh, way back when, John Schlesinger, uh, Mm -hmm. after he made this Billy Liar movie, he went on to direct that movie, Midnight Cowboy. Um, One of the, I think the only X-rated movie to ever win Best Picture. Until ours comes out. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this Schlesinger fella, he's directed a couple of pretty decent movies, Midnight Cowboy, Mm -hmm. Marathon Man, uh, uh, one of my uh, favorite 90s thrillers, Pacific Heights. Uh, He also directed uh, this one 70s movie I've always wanted to check out called The Day of the Locust from 1975. Uh, So, yeah, he's a guy. He's made some movies. Um, And this was always a movie. It's like, hey, this is a criterion. This movie on paper. I've been using that term a little bit too much, I feel. Uh, yes. Sounds pretty cool and pretty up my up my alley. Um, so anyway, this is a mm-hmm. first-time view for me after all this time. And um, I don't know. As I mentioned earlier in the uh, preamble, uh, I've been in this house hunt sort of mode lately. Mm. And uh, I've been taking a lot of uh, phone calls and email searches and responses, et cetera, et cetera. And all this came crashing down on me at the exact time that I was trying to watch this movie. So my mind mm. wasn't maybe necessarily entirely on this uh, this week out. So I, 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 I might not be giving this movie a fair shake because of stupid real life. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what? I don't like to delay recording and delay mm-hmm. pushing things around if, uh, if at all possible. So I'm going to talk about it and talk about it straight. I think this movie's okay. Um, yes. there are, there's a lot, there's like a handful of things that are really good about this movie that like, I thought mm-hmm. like, Whoa, that's really, really good. Um, and I don't know if it's like just because I was distracted from this movie because of, you know, annoying phone calls from the bank and stuff like that. Um, this is of course, mm-hmm. wonderful information to people listening <laughs> who don't give a shit yeah. about this five years from now, but, uh, um, preamble talk, preamble talk, but just laying it out there that I don't know how I exactly feel about this movie, but, uh, I don't know. It's very English. And, uh, I don't know. We just came off of, uh, that, uh, Mr. Bruce Robinson, uh, mm-hmm. double header with, uh, with Nell and I and, uh, how to get ahead in advertising. And those were mm-hmm. also quite British, but this is like sixties British. Um, mm-hmm. the things I like panning shot of this movie. Like it's a series of like shots from a moving car or a moving train of just like the, the state, the state of Britain, but like working class Britain. So it's like a lot of like the row houses and these houses mm-hmm. slammed together. Humanity just like, this is just life for everybody else. This isn't, a, this isn't a movie that's going to be about fancy, well-to-do people. This isn't movies about the upwardly mobile. This is about people who live outside of London. This is just day-to-day stuff. And this is a guy who's just a guy. There's nothing mm-hmm. really extraordinary about him, except that he kind of, uh, is like a Walter Mitty type. He, uh, has yeah. these, yeah, that's like the most obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a guy who wants to daydream? daydream. He wants to live a life better than he has, that he's accustomed to. He's mm-hmm. not content with the doldrums of, uh, middle class them at best. Like he wants, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be a writer. Um, he wants to be like a creator. He has a lot of ideas, um, based on the quality of his ideas here in this movie. I don't know if he has a lot to offer though. So that's kind of like an element Mm -hmm. of the movie that like, 
a lot of movies have when they're presenting these characters who are struggling with their creative endeavors is that their ideas don't seem that great. They don't seem mm-hmm. particularly talented. Whereas like some movies handle that stuff really well, like uh, Rupert Pupkin in um, King of Comedy. The idea yeah. is that this guy sucks and he's like a delusional idiot, right? Like he's not like mm-hmm. a good person. He's actually the anti-hero, but in his own world, he's the hero. So Billy Liar, I never get the sense, I'm never convinced that Billy has a lot to offer. Like mm-hmm. he's, I don't think he's as good as some people think, but that's a very like true thing of like small towndom, um, that like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh man, they've got so much potential. They just, they want to be a director. They want to go and do really amazing things abroad. Oh, I think they should, they should be allowed to do it just because they want to do it. But, uh, I don't, that's not necessarily true, but it's actually, but I think there is like a truth to that depiction of, uh, people. So you're kind of left with this mm-hmm. guy who you're not exact. I don't think I, I never bought into his abilities to like reach this, this potential, but again, you don't know until you try. And that's kind of the thing where there's that uh, push where he doesn't know if he can do that either. So there is that self-awareness to a point that he's afraid to fail or to succeed. Like, I think it's more afraid to fail. Cause I think once you go to London, when you take that uh, train trip out of town to like go and spread your wings, you can fail now. And you can't just Mm -hmm. pretend and like live in your fantasy that everything, like you're a misunderstood genius, the leader of your own fictional country in this like kind of place where no one's really going to challenge you. Um, Mm -hmm. But when things like when day to day life things come up, um, you can lie your way only so far. And then you're always just lying and lying and lying. Then you become that guy and nobody starts trusting you until you find new people or, Mm or the only people that will like even waste their time with you are like family members. Um, so yeah, there's like, when I talk about it like this, this movie actually sounds pretty good. And like, it didn't, again, this is because the subject matter, I think really resonates with me. I'm a, I'm a sucker for the sad bastard story. And this movie Mm -hmm. definitely, I think falls into that, um, that subgenre. There's like, just, I don't know. He's not a good guy. He's not a likable guy, really. And like when we get to, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a cad. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but these people exist all around us and you just right. don't really want to spend time with them. And I don't, th- I hope that most people don't endeavor to be like this type of person. Um, yeah. I knew a guy who's just like Billy Lyre. Yeah. Yeah. Doing the same stuff. <laughs> so, uh, this movie's true. It, this movie's good in one respect is that it is kind of like real life <laughs> and that I think we all know. A Billy Liar. Oh. You know, e- even early on, even in like elementary grade school, there's always that one kid who's like, oh, I got this at home. It's fucking amazing. It's the best shit you've ever seen. And you're like, oh, really? Let's go see it. And he's like, I can't. It's gone. It's not here anymore. Flew away. Were you, like, what? Were you, did you ever do that as a kid? No, there was one kid in our school who uh, lied about like the most insane stuff that like, as I guess as a kid you believe it but we as other kids were were like wait a minute it's not how stuff works <laughs> and it, like uh, one of his big it. whoppers was that uh his neighbor had a macaroni tree and we were like whoa 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 this was like in grade <laughs> one i think so we were we were all like six seven years old we're like whoa 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 macaroni doesn't grow on trees he's like oh yeah yeah it's not like a tree it was a bush and you're like macaroni doesn't grow on a bush either and he's like no it was, it was like a plant you know like in the window and we were just like, dude, are you mental? 
It's like, that's not where macaroni comes from. And uh, he was like, well, I, I don't know. And he, he kind of like took off. So uh, there was a, there was a kid in our school who had a lot of Whoppers like that. And he would also be like, I got a dog. And we'd be like, yeah, because kids love dogs. We'd, we'd be like, let's go see that dog. And uh, he'd be like, all oh, right, I'll bring it tomorrow. The but then the next sick. day he'd be like, it died. Yeah. And we'd be like, what? That's a, that's a oh, big man. thing to drop on some little kids. So kids. anyways, we yeah. knew one when we were a little kid. And uh, I know one as an adult. So mm-hmm. this movie is uh, realistic, at least. Right. Uh, well, yeah, no, this, this yeah. guy exists. Cool. Like, this is a real yeah. sort of type of person. I mean, so, so oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is based on a novel and play. So all of those elements carry over. Um, and, like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I think the way this movie plays out is pretty truthful. I think, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's probably a bit, like, depressing for some. Because yeah. it's just like, I don't know, talking about this movie. So, yeah, this guy, this guy, he's got these girls on the line for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why does he have these three girls on the line? Well, he has technically two. And then he's got a third girl that's like got it more going on. Because mm-hmm. the two, they're they're the types that like they don't want to leave. They, they want to get a man because they've been told that's what you do. And you want to you, you get married, you get a house, you have kids and you work and then you buy the stuff you want. That is your life. That's really fucking depressing to me. That is like definitely mm-hmm. for me, like I don't want that. Some people are totally cool with that and they're probably never going to watch this movie, Billy Liar. Because um, when they do, they go, that movie is weird. <laughs> um, that movie is boring. Yeah, they're not They're not into the Criterion. They're not into listening to podcasts about Criterion. So I'm okay shit talking mm-hmm. these people. Um, you can have uh, Jared's contact information on uh, whatever you're listening on. Just write in. I'll mm-hmm. give it to you. Yeah. That's yep. fine. They're not going to because they're not going to because hear. Because they're not here. Ever. Um, so, yeah, you have these girls. He's playing them back and forth. It's all the things. Oh, I got the ring. Oh, I went to that place and they said they never heard of you. Oh, no. Did you talk to so-and-so? Oh, no. Yeah. So I'm getting it privately done. So it's not on the records. Oh, it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's like that cringiness and like tightening of the chest where you're like, oh, God, oh, where's this going to go? But it's not like totally like a oh, cringy thing because you're not really rooting for him either. <clears throat> but there are moments, like I think the most, I think the, my highlight for the in this movie for me was when he meets um, the comedian uh, at the hotel the lobby. Filmmaker? Yeah. Yeah, like the, yeah, the, like the, the yeah, the, the television personality who's doing the thing at the grocery store, yep. Danny Power or something like that. Um, <laughs> and he meets him and like, that sequence goes about as well as it could ever go for like a person. Mm-hmm. Cause the guy's treated really nicely, very respectfully. Cause in some movies, like stuff where they do that exact same scene, like decades later, it would be very over the top and they'd just be make it. So it's like, this person's mm-hmm. just an, a raging asshole who has no time for you pleb. And, uh, mm-hmm. this is done like really nice. He's like, uh, yeah, I get asked this every town I go to and uh, I'm going to be really polite and say, yeah, yeah, next time you're in London, just stop by my office. Here's my card. Like, that's like, wow. Like, that's like mm-hmm. really like, as like, the guy, like you can tell is like, uh, yeah, I'm leaving now. And his, his <clears> people <throat> around him are like, yeah, you're just another person. That's very realistic. That's just what life is. doesn't matter who you are or how talented you are. But like that, like his, like the way he handles it and the fact that he's nervous and he's like trying to get lines kind of spit out. Mm-hmm. And like that's about as well as you could hope that those scenes go. Like meeting your hero or something like that. Like or like going to like a a comic convention or something like that to try to meet somebody. <laughs> like that would be something I think about. It's like when you talk to these guys, you're like, uh, yeah, I don't really want to. Like this is awkward. 
Like, so, mm-hmm. but then like, it's a step beyond like, Hey, can I get a job? Do you need a writer? buddy mm-hmm. i got a, i got a, i got a great idea i got a pitch i got this. a screenplay yeah you want to develop yeah. it steven spielberg <laughs> it's like no Spielberg. go yeah yeah you have to go down there to get mm-hmm. get your get your dreams achieved but uh, yeah i thought that was like a really great moment in this movie mm-hmm. uh and then like it kind of builds like there's the big party scene where it's like the small, this smaller community, everyone gets together for a big dance because that's what people did back in the sixties. They still like, yeah. they still like gather together in community halls at events and hung out instead of just like being afraid to leave their house. Cause they might get stabbed by a complete stranger. Cause that happens all the time, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or it's dangerous. It's hot out there. I'm lazy. I'm too tired. I'm crippled. I'm crippled with my depression, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and then there's like that whole sequence of him like maneuvering the room while there's these three girls that he's trying to impress and keep on the line uh, just because he doesn't want to disappoint them, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he's willing to like completely disappoint them with his bullshit lies um, and just keep digging deeper and deeper. And like you get those scenes like where he uh, back at the funeral home, uh, he's talk he's just kind of like talking to the guys and he's just bullshitting he's just lying mm-hmm. and those guys are like you don't know like how much they realize he's crap like he's full mm-hmm. of it or like they just oh you know that's him <laughs> I, I'm, I'm you're not sure exactly but then like the one woman comes in and she starts asking you're like none of that sounds true and you're just like mm-hmm. oh my god this guy's just like working at this funeral home and like <laughs> this is his life and he can barely keep this job and it's like oh man Anyways, I've gone on quite a bit about this movie so far. Yeah, you sure have. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to shake out this accusation that I hadn't watched the movie or something, but... uh, It didn't sound like you did, and I still don't think you did. (laughs) Hey, RJ, uh, what did did you think of this movie? I think you're on the level here. I don't think it's that you were just in a foul mood, which I do think is important to mention from time to time. Like, uh, what was that movie? Um... You know, the prostitute movie, the Fellini one. Oh, uh, yeah, Knights of Kiberia. Knights of Kiberia, which was a movie that you really, really liked. But I was just super pissed off the day I watched that. For whatever reason, I can't remember. I was real mad. So when we talked about that movie, I was like, this movie stinks. I was like, I hate it. I think you so, were just indifferent to it. Yeah, I was, I was indifferent. But yeah. uh, it's important to mention sometimes because you know what? Sometimes life makes you not in a good mood, just like in this movie. Sometimes life gives you shit. You got to make that shit aid. Um, good one, hey. With the whisk. With the whisk, yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're right about this movie. I was in a good mood. I was fine, and I watched it. And I think you're right in the when you said there are really good parts, but it doesn't really last on, or it doesn't really leave a mark on you because there are really good parts. Uh, this movie looks fucking great oh yeah uh there's a lot of really nice shots like the opening like you said but even just real quiet like close-ups that he has throughout this movie i think look awesome so this movie looks great uh what you touched on before about like chasing that creative endeavor and fear of failing uh, i think that's all really good in this movie and they show it uh and really like not not like unique but in really real ways like uh especially when at the end of the movie which i guess is a spoiler but whatever where he's basically being given like everything he wants kind of or yeah. like the potential for it yeah all it's the, like it's all happening uh, everything's it's like being you lined got the up. pool girl you're gonna go to the big city you're gonna get your job 
uh, like maybe if you work for it, you yeah. got to work for it. Right. And uh, you sh- you see him like in a very quiet way, like panic where you can tell that he's he's very anxious and he's trying to find excuses out of it. He's like, oh, well, I better go get us some food. And she's like, I have food. He's like, oh, well, that food's going to make us thirsty. I better go get us drinks. Milk. He's like, I have drinks. <laughs> and then like it, it, it like they do it like a couple times. So it really shows that like quiet anxiousness that yeah. he's trying to escape from it because he doesn't want to fail. So I think the movie does that really good too. And um, I think that's, the parts that I liked about this movie the most were the quiet moments. Uh, there's one scene where the guy's talking to the cool girl in the bar. Uh, like, he's got the two uh, other girls downstairs, like the loose floozy and then the lady who just kind of like, like the stuck up lady. Because I think that's their character arch- archetypes, right? Like, the town yeah. pump and then the girl who's like <laughs> stuck up. What? Is she not? Uh, that's the impression. Go I think. on. Because like when the stuck up girl is like, uh, she's like, I'm, we're engaged. Uh, I'm uh, saving it for marriage. She's like, what about you? And then that girl's like, what do you think? She's like, what do you think? I save it for marriage. And she's like shrugging her shoulders or something. So I, uh, I assumed that meant she was a town pump. Anyways, doesn't matter. So when he's upstairs talking to like the real laid back girl, uh, there, there's a real nice moment where they're just kind of sitting there smoking cigarettes. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's some criterion action right there. Shit like that. I like scenes like that. I think it's, it brings it all together, you know? Yeah. So this movie has really good things like that. And the kind of story, like you said, it's kind of like this shitty guy. He's kind of like a pervert and a little psychotic and a coward. But like we were. So those parts are really good. But there's parts in this movie that aren't really good. Uh, I think the daydreaming thing is cool the first two, three times. And then after that, I think it gets really played out. Like he does the machine gun thing where he just blows everyone up. Yeah. Maybe every eight minutes, <laughs> every every time he's like leaving a situation like with a person, he daydreams that he he just like lights them up. And the first two times I was like, oh, yeah, that's neat. That's cool. Like you said, I was like, it's like Walter Mitty cool but then he keeps doing it over and over again and i was like fuck I was like enough already yeah like the, little, the the fl- yeah. kids thinking about like blowing people up all the time yeah the flights of fancy thing is very like like there's not a lot, there's not there's not a lot of scope to it mm-hmm. like it's kind of like oh yeah he's like in his mind he's sort of like this like small like hero of a conquering mm-hmm. nation that's like won this war and uh like it's like so he's kind of like a fascist which kind of like mm-hmm. speaks to like kind of the power trippy kind of aspect of the way he plays with people and stuff like that yeah and wants to be the ruler of his own devices which it's like it's actually like relevant to these days like with how people operate online um anyway so yeah the, it's yeah I, I liked it the first couple times but yeah it's it gets a little too much uh i did think the one where he's dreaming about the stuck-up girl and he's like hugh hefner and she's like, oh, darling, in lingerie. I thought that was kind of funny. But at the same time, I was like, oh, he's just a pervert. Mm. But uh, the way that interaction ends, I thought was legitimately really funny, where that lady comes out and he's like, oh, have you met uh, my sister? And she's like, he, uh, the lady's like, your sister? She's like, dude, are you mental? I know who this lady is. Like, I've known her my whole life. And he just kind of like, he like panics and runs away. I thought that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. So I don't know. I'm with you. I think this movie has really good parts, 
But I don't know. There's something about it that doesn't it doesn't really ever land and make it stand out mm-hmm. like uh, really good movies, I guess, too. So For it's sure. kind of just in the middle. Yep. I have a few random uh, thoughts or musings, as you would. I'll throw some out to you, too. Yeah. Uh, I think this, are you going to start? Oh, oh, sure. I'll throw one out first. Um, there's nothing like old ladies going on about the blacks. Uh, (laughs) yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. We haven't had that for like three, four episodes. Yeah. Um, there's like one thing though. And like, I might've just completely blanked out while watching this movie where, uh, Tom Courtney, uh, Billy here, he, uh, he's like in blackface. Is that like, I, noticed that yeah i but saw a pe- i don't want to say anything in case i would have come off as mm. a racist well see i saw a lot of people have like issue with that uh yeah. and i went like i didn't i didn't I think didn't, it would i didn't even i don't like, have an issue with it at all i think it's just product of its time right yeah like he was imagining that he was a different person yeah like if they if they did it now he would be cgi'd as like i don't know a transformer or something like imagining himself oh, yeah it'd be like real ready player one yeah, you know, so... So Billy Liar is the first Ready Player One. Well, you heard it here first. That's right. Anyways, uh, keep talking about oh, blackface. Oh, anyway, that was just like, yeah, there's like that bit. But like, yeah, like just like the old ladies going on the black, the blackies or whatever. And you're just like, ah, old English ladies. That's like a common thing in these like little dwellings, these like British dwellings. It's like women, if they're all like this intergenerational family living together with this kind of son that's no good for anything and... Just go get a job, and which I love. The, there's the line where um, he's like he's explaining what he's going to do. That he's like he got a letter from this comedian. He's going to write material, and his mom's like, "What do you mean he likes your material?" Because it's just like, well, you, you take for granted what people like, when people say these things using this lingo. People have no idea what that even means. Um, so I love I, I like that. And then there's also in the shot a nice big. Uh, a uh, bottle of brown sauce, some A1, uh, or uh, sorry, so uh, HP, HP HP sauce. So yeah. that is actually my first note as well, that this has killer HP product placement because mm-hmm. it's just they, right they, there, they, man. They fucking guzzle that shit down there. That's like, oh, yeah. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard, man. On, on everything. Uh, but, oh, yeah, and you put it on your shoe. Yeah. As Guy Fieri would say. Mm-hmm. Slap that on a shoe. Anyways, yeah, I thought the HP sauce uh, product placement was pretty good too. Uh, did you see Ray Fiennes in this movie? Oh, uh, the manager? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah see, you knew exactly. Who oh, yeah, I know. He was very uh, Ray Fiennes-y. When he first popped on screen, I'm not even kidding, like not joking. I was like, holy fuck, is that Ray well, Fiennes? Well, it, and, it's, and then I was like, wait a minute, this movie's 60 years old. Yeah, There's and no like, way it could and it's be like, Ray it's like a Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Hey, what, why do they call him Ray and not Ralph? Ralph. Wasn't he Ralph? Isn't it don't, Ralph Fiennes? Don't people call him Ray, though? I don't think so. I think it's Ralph. But I thought you were just uh, calling him Ray affectionately since you're such good, close, personal friends. Well, I do I do call him at home, talk on weekends. But uh, I don't know. Some We should do – someone email in and let me know what that is, if it's Ray or Ralph. I mean, maybe it's both. I'm confused. Anyways, uh, that guy looks exactly like Ray Fiennes. A little bit, yeah. Um, also, did you notice that that toilet was absolutely fucking destroyed when he's flushing down the I like so he's flushing down the calendar and you're like, OK, OK, whatever. And then you get this aerial view and that toilet. I don't know what it is, man. It looks like 18 people just dropped their like chewing tobacco just right on the seat. It's disgusting. 
I think it's like a pattern in the toilet seat, like a floral pattern. Oh. But from from up, it looks like people have just emptied their mess. bodies on it. Mess, lots of messing. Mess. And there's not so enough, there's not enough gross. water in the world to take it away. Yeah. So I don't know. Weird stuff. Uh, and I have two other little things. Um, this is the second week in a row we've had uh, wrecking balls in our movies because mm. we had the wrecking ball in this and in uh, with Nail and I. Yeah. And uh, so Criterion's got a thing about destroying old England, I guess. Well, you know, there's like a when this movie was actually made in like the 1962, 63, and with Nell and I is a movie that was made in the 80s, but set in like 1969. So it's like, uh, there's a lot of uh, building and rebuilding going on up that at that point, bringing it I down see. to build it back up. I see. Well, cool. Anyways, but uh, I have one last thing. Uh, it is a quote that I thought was awesome. When they're at the train station, he runs into the loose floozy girl with his like friend from the funeral home who's real drunk. And uh, the girl who is recently betrothed to, she says, look what's crawled out of the cheese. <laughs> and I don't know what that means, but I wrote it down and I'm going to start using that in real life. Because he's like a mouse or a rat, a rat who's been eating cheese. Is that what she means? I think so. Well, whatever it means, I thought it was really funny. Look what crawled out of the cheese. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start dropping that all the time. That is your but right. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Billy Liar is okay. It's got good parts. It's just not super good. Yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. It's somewhere like, uh, I wish this was a better movie, I guess. Because like, there's so much I like about it. But yep. and like, oh, I love the way this is going to go. But then it's just like, oh yeah, it's a movie. It's good. Yeah. yeah. But there's Weird. people, RJ, who hate this movie. What type of people? Um, let's find out. Nanino, one star. I have no interest at all watching a movie about a character like this. I'm pretty passionate, eh? Ethan Rosenberg, one hey, star. Hey, wait a minute. Whoa. This Nanino person. Yeah. Like some good movies. They gave Swiss Army Man five stars. Oh, man. They also just gave Shape of Water one star. So oh, this person they're, they're might on, be on to something. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, Ethan Rosenberg, one star. I have no reason to spend 98 minutes at this movie with a stupid, selfish, pompous white boy. I live with one 24 hours a day. He's talking about himself, RJ. I was going to say, based on his picture, I think he's a little yeah. bit self-loathing here. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's what I'm talking about. A star for Julie Christie, who he didn't even mention. Uh, luminous in a role completely undeserving of her stature and talent. There are no humans here, just stomach-churning stereotypes. Is this the same guy? Ethan Rosenberg, yeah. Okay, is that his whole review? That's his whole review. Guy's a big Criterion nerd. Yep. His four favorite films are Criterion movies. Yeah. This fucking piece of shit <laughs> has a ranked P.T. Anderson list, and they have no. in, inherent vice. No. As number two. What, what's number one? The Master. Oh, the worst. The, the, his two worst movies. What a fucking loser. Oh, he's got a Spike Lee ranked list, and Jungle Fever is number two. What a troll. What an ass. What a troll. Go, go listen to You're our not real. Uh, Spike I, Lee episode. I, I, I dismiss your opinion, sir. You are Jungle Fever is not a good movie. Yeah. Maybe he found the ending powerful. No. <laughs> that ending doesn't mean anything. Okay. All right. 
What is what does Nicholas have to say? One and a half star. This is a lengthy one. A- admittedly, a neophyte to the grammar of British cinema in the 60s, more importantly, it's new wave. So I was completely taken aback by how frank racism was delivered in Billy Liar. The racist subtext and innuendos is off-putting, a distraction, also to be frank, offensive. A mild case of misogyny to boot, along with a glamorization of a mental disorder, compulsive lying, then its flippant depiction of a clear case of disaffectation for the sake of comedic value is disheartening to watch and aggravating because it continuously fails to hold any accumulative weight or even ascertain any relevance other than of something to laugh at. Billy is hardly a revelatory character either. His fantasies and surrealistic manifestations when shown are disturbing, gradually less potent and tiresome as entertainment. Sure, John Schlesinger shows competence or competency, 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 competency of the few British New Wave directors I am familiar with. He possesses a distinct and accomplished kineticism. The opening minutes of Billy Liar, probing middle class homes, working class council flats to war torn buildings in a fine attempt of evocation, grounding the film in its post war setting, investigating social hierarchy, and attentively showing Britain's recovery by the reconstruction of its war ridden landscapes. Which he goes on to repeat once more. But the association between character and setting here is so purposefully subjective that one wonders how far Schlesinger is willing to shift the blame to the environment as a post-war depravity affecting Billy rather than him being equally to blame if not more. He essentially works harder to hinder his life than supposedly anybody. He quits his job, fails to pursue another. When we think he is ready to start anew, he chooses not to. These situations are distinctly devoid of his tendency to lie. Clearly no one is on the joke whilst we are supposed to laugh at Billy. Not even a call for sympathy or empathy by Schlesinger is evident here, even if if it it were problematic. But of something sadistically gratifying. I fear some will miss what actually happens in this film. He does not overcome. He is in fact, he in fact regresses further. Should I, we laugh at this? Not my humor at all. Tom Courtney is in blackface y'all. That about sums up this film. I, I get that like blackface is bad now. Like don't do it now. This movie's like 60 years old. Don't be mad at them then. They're all dead. Can't change that. People are dead. <laughs> I think Tom Courtney might be go- alive. He could be. Whatever. He, he, him could, be, and, he uh, could be held to account. <laughs> him and uh, Martin Sheen are hanging out together. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, this Nicholas person uh, seemingly only watches Japanese and Chinese movies. Hmm. Um, their five stars is a lot of pretentious criterion stuff, but this person gave deep blue sea one star. And I think that's a bad call. <laughs> and they gave Jack one star, which is a real bad call. So <laughs> fuck you, Nicholas with your pretentious ass likes. That was like definitely one of the better written reviews I've read in a while. Yeah. But like it's thoughtful. I get that you don't like um, but... it, but how much time do you think that guy spent on that? A lot of time. Uh, he would if uh, no, he didn't. He, he might that might be a. He, I don't know if he that was like a first draft. It seems like somebody he's writing a lot right now. Yeah. Good, good for him for writing and thinking about movies. And sure. I guess trying to articulate why he doesn't like things. But yeah, but he's wrong about Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not saying otherwise. Hmm. That's that. I think. Um, yep. Yeah. Billy Liar. 
Uh, not as good as I'd hoped it would be, but decent, fine. Nice cinematography. Um, one of the other things I really liked in that opening shot of like all like the uh, row housing and flats and stuff like that. There's this bit where like this woman is like taking like a giant rug that she's like leaving out to dry and she puts it over mm-hmm. the edge and she walks away and then like about 10 feet afterwards, it just goes falling and it, it just falls yeah. like 50 feet. And it's like, oh, it's good. I like that. It's just like, it seems so effortless, but it also set up to do that. But it's like, yeah, I like that detail. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, good quality entertainment. Quality. Nice. Well, that's that mattress, man. After the break, um, we're going to pretend to shoot a bunch of people over and over and over again. You got to be careful saying stuff like that nowadays, dude. change anyone's minds today fuck no we didn't talk about anything today you can email us at criteriaincrease at gmail.com and affirm what we already know mm-hmm. we've got a facebook page we're on instagram we're on the letterbox i'm jared duncan he's barnloaf mm-hmm. uh we got a patreon we got really? we got a soundcloud stitcher itunes google play <laughs> youtube everything and nothing. Do we really? No. Nothing. We have nothing. Oh. It's, it's all bullshit, my friends. Social Good. media is garbage and is ruining all of us. Uh, uh, yeah. Congratulations goes out to the, the children in Thailand who survived uh, oh, or, a great ordeal. Don't. <laughs> Good, great job. Don't do this now. Don't, don't play soccer in a cave. Uh, yeah. Next week. Spine 112 and 123, a double documentary fiesta. Fiesta? Yep. Are these uh, Mexican movies? Nope. Uh, hey, it's the return of the Maysales brothers. Who? The, the men who brought us uh, your favorite documentary, Gimme Shelter. Oh, fuck. I didn't know that. And they got friends with them. They got, we, got, we got Salesmen from 1969. Uh, which is about Bible salesmen, the the old oh, the, okay. the old hustle, the sadness yeah. of old 50, 60 year old men in suits selling Bibles door to door, hot stuff, baby. And that okay, actually. and we got Grey Gardens uh, from nineteen seventy five, not to be confused with the uh, fictional movie from like a few years ago. So don't watch that one, Oliver, by mistake. Um, <clears throat> Good call. Yeah. So, and this movie is about the the weird leg of uh, Jackie Onassis's family. Weird old what? weird old ladies. Yep. Oh. Living in a weird house, being like big ladies and stuff. Something like that. I've never seen this one. And uh, well, that'll change in a week's time. Um. 
I'm going to sit out next week. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, kids, enjoy life. Kick back with some Tom King Batman comics. And, no, uh, don't. Or don't. Don't. Don't do it. Good night.